Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we would like to look at Genesis 4, verse 8. Maybe we'll get on to other stuff, but there's a lot packed into this. Here's what the text says. Genesis 4, 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, you may think there's not a lot in that verse, but we're going to unpack it here because I really think that uh, at the end of this, we'll, we'll come to a different conclusion. And so this section here, really from 8 to 16, is, is the bigger section. Now that we actually have the act of, of sin, uh, of murder here, uh, we have it and its consequences. So we have the wrong choice and its consequences. And the first thing we have to look at here in verse 8 is the first murder. But in that, there's a little bit to unpack. So let's dive in and notice, first of all, the act itself. The text says that Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Now, different translations translate this differently. Um, The NASB says Cain told Abel, his brother. Uh, We have the New Living Translation. One day Cain suggested to his brother, that's a very liberal translation, but probably kind of in keeping with, with what happens contextually, even though it's hard to make a grammatical case for that. The New International Version, now Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. Interesting take on that again, because that's not exactly the way the, uh, the Hebrew has that. The King James Version says, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his Abel, his brother, and slew him. And so uh, the more conservative translations are going to put it that way. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, that's the new King James, and so forth. So we, we definitely see a trend in that, and I just wanted to bring that to the forefront, that that's really what's going on. So with this verb told or talked to or spoke with, uh, you know, like I said, some of the other uh, less literal translations try and piece it all together and make it a smoother translation that he suggested. But we have no indication what was said. And and that's an interesting talking point even in itself. Um even the Masoretic text, which gives a lot of commentary on a lot of things, so where we might have questions contextually about what's happening around a verse, but you know, in the Old Testament, the Masoretic text will come in and supply a lot of that commentary. It's very ancient. Even the Masoretic text, which I'm not even saying is is necessarily on par with biblical authority, it's not. But they are silent on this, so there's there's no indication what was actually said. All the Hebrew text says is that Cain spoke. Cain talked to his brother. That's it. It doesn't say that Cain said this to his brother. 
Uh, and especially, uh, what was that? The New Living Translation. Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out to the field. That's, that's a terrible translation. Uh, all it says is Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and then we have kind of a scene change in when they were in the field. So that's how we should understand it. Now, what we can surmise from that because of the actions that follow are a couple things. We can make some hypotheses about that. It probably wasn't what God had just told Cain in the preceding verses, the warning about correcting his behavior. He probably didn't say, hey, Abel, uh, God just pulled me aside and said X, Y, and Z. That probably isn't what happened because then the murder wouldn't happen in theory. Uh, maybe he said something like, come out to the field with me. That's possible too, but we just don't know. And we don't need to make a big, huge deal out of it, but it's interesting to point out that it is awkward, but we should leave it that way and just understand that uh, Cain, really what this points to is premeditation because God did tell him what the right thing to do was. He told him how to make the entire situation right. And instead of making the situation right, he goes and talks to his brother and their conversation leads them out to the field. So at some point during the conversation, they do agree to go out to the field and then Cain murders him. So there's an element of premeditation here. I mean, this is not a haphazard thing. This is not uh, accidental. It's not a case of manslaughter. It is murder. And the Bible attributes it that way to him that he killed him. He's directly responsible for his brother's death. Now, there's a lot going on beside, behind the scenes here. We have sin, yes, uh, but nothing else, okay? And by that, I mean this, that before the murder takes place, we're given no indication in Scripture of what life is like in a newly fallen world. We don't have murder in the world yet. This first murder is about to take place. So there's no precedent, there's no, there's no anything going on. And, and so we have to understand that and put ourselves in uh, the shoes of everybody who is affected by this. Because it's not just Abel who's the victim, and it's not just Cain who's the one who's doing it, uh, but obviously Adam and Eve are going to be affected. And it's probable that there were other siblings as well. Keep in mind, and we mentioned this in the previous podcast, uh, that that it's quite likely that there were sisters born at the same time. Adam and Eve are having children in prolific quantities, right? Uh, they're filling they're filling the earth just as God has said. Uh, highly unlikely that there's miscarriages and other things like that. I mean, if Eve's going to give birth hundreds, if not thousands, of times over the next, uh, you know, well, probably not thousands, but nine hundred years. Uh, you know, maybe some twins in there, who knows, but at least uh, a few hundred times, uh, then we don't, don't have a lot of room for, for, you know, miscarriages and other things that are, are so prevalent today. But it's, it's very likely, uh, and we can say that, I mean, we, we don't have, we can't be dogmatic about it, but it's very likely that, that there were siblings and probably sisters. We know the next one that's going to come after is Seth. Uh, but, but there were probably some sisters at the time. And you say, well, why is that a big deal? Well, for this reason, I mean, had Adam and Eve known what Cain was about to do, and it's not like he broadcast his intentions, do you think that they would have let Abel go out to the field with him? 
Or do you think that they might have sent, you know, some of the other, you know, sisters to go along with them? It's an interesting thought exercise. They probably would have tried to take some measure to stop Abel, Abel from going with Cain or take some measures to try and stop Cain from doing what he's doing. And so we have to see that in this contextually surrounding this action that's taking place, there's actually a lot going on. I mean, he's sneaky, he's conniving, he's premeditated, and he's able to use his circumstances as they are at the time to get away with this absolutely heinous and wicked, wicked uh, action here. Now, we notice also that the text goes on to say, and when they were in the field. So like we indicated earlier, it probably led them to the field at some point. Again, we don't know exactly what Cain said to his brother, but eventually they both ended up in the field. Now, there's nothing you know spiritual about that. It's not allegorical or symbolic, but what we can surmise from this is that they're away from home. They're away from witnesses, and that's important. And now here comes the action. Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. So they're out in the field. They're away from witnesses. It's clear, it seems from the text, that Cain has premeditated this so much so that he's willing to talk to his brother with the intent to kill him. And then it says that Cain rose up against his, uh, Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now, the text doesn't give us how, but we can say for certain that he didn't use a gun because those didn't come around till a few hundred years ago. Uh, and we don't know all that was available at the time. It could have been something as simple as a rock. But here's the issue that we really need to, to, to grapple with, and this is very practical, is that murder is a product of the fall. Murder is a manifestation of our sinful and depraved heart. Those are the things that we need to think on. And as long as sin and depravity are present in the world and sin has not been done away with, it has not been taken out of this uh, creation, then murder is always going to be present. And we find in, in the first sin after the sin, right? The first sin after the fall. I mean, we go to the mother of all sins. We go right to the top. I mean, obviously, and, and I should qualify that, we're talking against human beings. I mean, the worst thing that you could do to a fellow human being is kill them because you're not the author of life. You can't give life, therefore you don't have the right to take it away. That's the whole issue there. We're made in the image of God. God has the, the right to take away life because God is the one who gives life. And we see that conundrum come up when David is running from Saul, uh, his predecessor to the throne, when David actually rightfully has the throne, but Saul's still rampaging around, right? And David has opportunities to kill Saul a couple different times. And he is torn because even though there is an actual war going on and there's probably just cause, David can't bring himself to do it. Even in the cave of Abdullam, where Saul goes in and David is in the back of the cave in the dark and he has the opportunity to, to just take care of Saul all by himself. He, he can't do it. He says, shall I reach out my hand against the Lord's anointed? And and it's a good, another good thought exercise for us. But right here, the very first thing that's committed after the fall is murder. And it's very instructive to us because murder 
is in the heart of man, and it doesn't matter. This is the reason that Christians, especially conservative Christians who take the Bible literally, take this particular position when it comes to legislation. Now, does God use governments and legislation for the protection of the people? Yes, but even those can become corrupt. I mean, we live now in a, in a nation of of laws, and they're just too onerous and burdensome. I mean, honestly, they really are. If you think about it, I mean, the Mosaic Law is is a grace. It's 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 a gift. You know, you think of these six hundred and thirteen laws in the Old Testament. You're like oh, that's a lot. Well, the U.S. The U.S. law code right now, I don't remember what it is, but I remember at one time, this is years ago, so it's probably exponentially larger, but I think somebody said that it was over 70,000 pages, 70,000 pages. That's a lot more than 613 laws. And every single day, it seems like, or every week, we have local legislators, those are lawmakers, writing new laws and drafting up new things to add to the old ones. And then we have it done on a national level. I mean, it's just crazy. (laughs) And I say all that, not to get very political here, but you can't legislate away sin. You just can't do it. You can pass every law in the book and you're not going to stop it. Was it wrong for Cain to murder his brother? Yes. Should he have done it? No. Did that stop him? No. <laughs> and and it never will. And it doesn't matter if he doesn't have access to a gun or if he didn't even have access to a rock. Maybe he just strangled him with his bare hands. We don't know. Uh, people have have killed people with their bare hands. I mean, uh, it, it's this is a manifestation of the depravity of the human heart. And so I want to move then from talking about the act of murder itself here, and I want to talk about some of the implications. First of all, this is the first murder in history. I mean, that should go without saying, but it's the very first time in all of human history that somebody's been murdered. Right off the bat, starting with the big one. We said that before. And to add to that, it's worth noting that this isn't just murder. Murder's awful. But this is fratricide. Literally, the definition of fratricide is killing one's brother. I mean, so I'm not just an enemy. I, and, and there's no other options, clearly, if Adam and Eve are the first two human beings. Uh, anybody who murders, especially one generation removed from the first humans, are all going to be related. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, it's the brother. I, you know, we don't wait several generations until all of a sudden we have little branch offs and things like that. We don't get to Genesis six before the first murder. First murder takes place here. What does that say about the human heart? Well, the human heart is murderous. Uh, This is depravity showing forth. Jesus addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21 to 26. He said this, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. 
Close or come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. So he, he redefines it. It says here it starts in the heart. So if you hate somebody in your heart, you're angry with him. You're already guilty of murder in God's eyes. So we have that. Then later on, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And notice right up there at the top of the list, not only evil thoughts, but maybe a manifestation of the evil thoughts. What is the first evil thought that comes out of our heart? Murder. And, and that's, that is where it comes from. And so we have to understand, and we're not doing a commentary on, on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here, but in God's eyes, once we hate somebody in our heart and we've already gone through the act of killing them uh, you know, in a mental fashion, we're already guilty. And some people have restraint because of the laws on the land and so forth, but what that is is a manifestation of the heart. Now, by the time we get to the book of Exodus and we have the Ten Commandments presented, the Sixth Commandment, and this is what Jesus quoted there in the Sermon on the Mount, is what? You shall not murder. Now this has to be emblazoned. This has to be chiseled into the rock of the law and the tablets so that people understand that this is true. We cannot have just pure nihilism, uh, antinomialism, you know, no law, just free to do whatever and follow the inclinations of our heart. There has to be some order. And so we have to make, we have to make the penalty for murder very severe. Uh, and it's, it can't just be life in prison. Um, you know, just go back and read and all the ancient cultures. If, if somebody was murdered, it was, you take a life, your life is forfeit. Okay, so th this is the first murder in history, but I also want to point out here, and then we'll end this episode this way, that there's New Testament attestation of this. Now, this is important because not only is there New Testament attestation of Adam and Eve, very important that we understand that they are real, literal people, and, and we've made that point before, uh, they're not a product of evolution and you know at what point did they actually become adam and eve and not lucy you know the australopithecine or you know uh, whatever um neanderthal and and so we understand that they're real human beings they are our, our forefathers they are our forebearers i should say in the human race but so is this incident and this is important okay so matthew chapter 23 verse 35 gives this attestation where we read this, and, and this is Jesus again, he's speaking to the Pharisees when he's rebuking them, and he's saying that, listen, they have the blood of all the prophets on their hands. And he's saying the curses that will come on them because of their unfaithfulness to the word of God and how they steer people away from the kingdom of heaven rather than steering them towards it and so forth. He said this to them in verse 35 of Matthew 23, so that on you, the Pharisees, may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. So 
he is quoting something that's happened in the Old Testament and treating it as a historical example, not as something fictitious. This isn't a parable. He's saying, starting with the very first murder, it is people who are false teachers uh, who have come in and twisted that to their own accord and the righteous blood of those who have been murdered, whether it's Abel, who is righteous, or Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, uh, they have all been murdered because people have twisted the scriptures. And by the way, that's what Cain did, did he not? He twisted God's word, chose not to obey it, and now he will give an account for that. Now, J- Dr. Jonathan Sarfati notes this about that. Why does Jesus use this example, not just Abel, the blood of righteous Abel, but to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah? Well, that reference, Zechariah the son of Berechiah, is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. You say, well, what does 2 Chronicles have to do with anything? Here's what Dr. Sarfati says. The Pharisees' Bible is the same as the Protestant Old Testament, but the order is different. The first book was still Genesis, but the last book was 2 Chronicles. So Jesus unbelieving generation would be held responsible for all God's people murdered in the Old Testament from the first book to the last book, from Abel, Genesis 4, 8, to Zechariah, 2 Chronicles 24, verses 20 and 21. So it's really fascinating that this gets used in the New Testament to show not only that it really happened, uh, but to hold accountable those who have twisted and perverted God's word, masquerading as teachers of God's word. And he said that they're accountable for this. But not only there, we actually have this referenced in John's first epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, where we read this, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Very, very important lesson there. So as we consider the first act, this first murder, uh, and we've looked at the act and the implications in the New Testament attestation, it becomes very clear that this is really a huge, huge turning point. The, the biggest turning point obviously happened at the fall, but this is now going to set the precedent for everything that's going to follow. And immediately after, in this same chapter, we're going to find another murder, and then the Bible is just full of murder and death and evil and the expression of the depravity of men's heart. And we really ought to stop and take note because we see it all around us and we're so used to it, but the fact of the matter is it's all there because of the fall. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.